this is Paul from Cradle of Filth, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello, suckers. This is Lizzie Borden, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Martin Anderson from Lizzie Borden and George Lynch. You are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, metal, and blues music scene. Tonight we're going to be having a special conversation with Cradle of Filth guitarist Paul Allender. Cradle of Filth will be bringing their Darkly Darkly Venus Aversa tour to the Club Zoo on February 23rd here in Pittsburgh. So we wanted to catch up with Paul and find out about the writing of the album and how things are going in the Cradle of Filth camp. So before we get into that interview with Paul, we're going to play a song from that album. This song is called Forgive Me Father, I Have Sinned.
gentleman from the band Cradle of Filth, Paul Allender. How are you doing today, Paul? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Very, very good. I um, wanted to talk, um, get a, people a chance to uh, get a little more familiar with you. You've been in Cradle of Filth, really, um, almost from its inception, and uh, kind of familiarize themselves with you and uh, get ready for the show you're going to be doing in a bunch of dates in North America coming up in uh, the next few months, and you're going to be coming to our town of Pittsburgh. So, Growing up in, in the U.K., uh, in kind of the 70s, early 80s, what um, what influenced you as a guitar player? Um, well, it's, it's when I first got into um, listening to metal. I first got into that type, this type of music when I was like, 12 years old. Um, pretty much, it was it was uh, pretty much like Dave Murray, the reason why I started playing guitar. Okay. Um, and then I got into, I mean, to be honest, as a guitar player, I've never really been into like, all like the shredding, like solo-y type guitar players, you know, because it's just like, A, it just it sounds boring, you know, and B, right. guitar playing isn't a sport, it's meant to be about music, you know. Right. Um, so, I don't know, and then I sort of got into like, sort of like Dave Murray, uh, then into like Judas Priest, you know, KK Downing and Glenn Tipton, and I think those two now are my favourite guitar players. You know, they're yeah. pretty much, they can, if they need to play fast, they can do it. But they're just, it's just that particular feeling they've got when they play. You yeah. know, so, I mean, I'm a great believer. You don't need a ripping solo to actually make anything sound good. Nine times out of ten, you hear most people usually throw this sort of stuff in. And it's all in the wrong places. And there's no need for all of this just for showing off and not yeah. being a solid unit as a band, you know. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very good point about being a band. That I think Cradle of Filth kind of exemplifies that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do, you know, sixteenth notes and thirty-second notes and sweeping arpeggios and stuff, you probably could kick it into that gear. But would it benefit the song? And that's, that's a, no, of course it wouldn't. No, not at all. You know, that's not what Cradle's about. No, it really wouldn't actually benefit anything. All it does is just like just just highlights the skill that person can do, and it does absolutely nothing. Or a song, or feeling, or the groove, or anything, really, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, you were with um, Cradle of Filth back in 92, kind of, um, like I said, from day one, and then you kind of took some time away from the band in 96. Do you want to talk a little bit about what led to that decision to leave? Um, I just it wasn't agreeing with what stuff was happening in the band at the time, you know? Um, as the band was getting bigger, there were, like, um, sort of egos in the band that were getting bigger as well. You know, and I just don't agree with that sort of thing at all. Um, so yeah, that's that's what led me to like leave for a bit. You know, I just wanted plus also I wanted to get out. I wanted to experiment on other styles of music. I wanted to like I don't know, just um, play something different. So this is why I left and then like started up the band The Blood Divine, right? Um, which was like kind of I don't know. I suppose at the time it was more like a rockier type band, but. It's, it was cast more along the Stone of Rocks side of things, you know, which was good. We had like the, I'd say, down from like, you sing with Anathema. He was doing it. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was on vocals. So it was, that, was, that was really good. We've done two albums with that. And then also, I um, produced, I won't produce, uh, started a band called Primary Slave. And at the time, we were like hitting demos and stuff, which was great. And we was getting major interest, which is really good. Um, and, was just about to sign a contract, and then basically Danny called me up after not speaking to him for a few years and uh, asked me if I wanted to join back in Cradle again. Yeah, so that's that pretty much it. And now I'm back. 
Yeah, he's been back for, uh, it's been going on 11 years now. now you came yeah. back right in time for the Midian album, is that correct? Yeah, well, actually coming back, the first my first recording was um, one of the tracks on the B-side of uh, Cradle to Enslave. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so basically the, the next, the, the first album of me coming back was Midian. Okay. Now, kind of fast forward, I mean, obviously the band has continued to, to sort of snowball in popularity. Um, when you guys went in to do uh, Darkly, Darkly, um, the, the new album, how did, can you kind of walk us through how you guys write as a band? I mean, does, does Danny kind of do all of the lyrical and the theme of the album, or do you guys kind of do music and then he puts words to it, or, or do you all contribute in all aspects, or how does... Uh, no, it's, um, we do... No, it was just as you said, we do the music, and then he, when we finish writing, he basically puts the uh, write the lyrics to what we've written. Okay. Um, it's, it's the easiest way of doing it, because it's been on, but I couldn't imagine trying to do it the other way around. Him writing lyrics to say, I'll write a riff to this, it'd be like, <laughs> really? It was like, it would be like closing your eyes and trying to paint by numbers. <laughs> so it, I just can't see how you could do it. Do you guys so no, get, I mean, do you, keep you abreast of kind of like the themes? Because your records all seem to have a, a somewhat of a theme to them. I mean, some more than others. But, I mean, do you guys get involved with what he's going to do? You just kind of cut him loose and let him do his thing? Um, no, we usually just like, because he's, he's always... He's, so the thing is, I, I always like, I believe with like, all vocalists, right? If they write the lyrics, they should have a vision of what they want to write about. You know, and if you've been doing it for a set amount of years, you should be able to actually trust that person to do it well enough not to even bother getting involved, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and I'll be like, I mean, it's like, it's the same as band rehearsals, you know? We don't, we hardly rehearse. We only really get together when um, there's a tour coming up or okay. we're just about to go in the studio to play the new stuff that we've already written because everything gets written um, in our own studios and it gets emailed everywhere. You know, so that's the best way of doing it, and that's the most productive way of doing it. Um, yeah. But but that's the only time we get together, you know, because at the end of the day, because we've been doing it for so long, you should be able to, like, trust everybody within the band to keep it professional and know their stuff when they turn up to the rehearsal room. So it's the same as, like, when, like, Dan's writing lyrics or coming up with, like, concepts for the album. I mean, we don't know anything what's going to be written about titles or any concepts or anything like that. All we do is just, just like, basically write the music uh, make sure each track stands out on its own as an instrumental piece, and then um, give it to him. And then once the vocals are put on top, it's an added bonus, and it makes it sound even better, you know? Yeah. So you've got kind of a pretty organic plate when you're uh, when you're writing the music. You're not trying to, like you said, paint by numbers or, or come up with maybe music to, to try to cram it in to fit the lyrical content, which is... is no, exactly. So the end of the... I mean, we might get, like... Uh, the odd email coming back here and there from Dan saying, oh, can you make this bit a bit longer because I've want to? i got a different vocal idea I want to put in here, but the riffs aren't long enough. Okay, so yeah, we'll do that. So we'll just like play it longer or shorten it or change the tail end or something to make it, because he would say, oh, we've got this idea for the choirs I want to put in. Okay, so then we'll like change like just the tail end or something like that, you know? Okay. That's, that's actually very interesting. It's kind of neat to get that in, you know, behind the scenes on how you guys make the masterpiece. Um, for the U.S. tour that you have coming up, do you guys, um, have any, are you planning on doing most of the new record live? Um, we've got four tracks we're doing. Okay. Um, because we can't really play all of it to be, well, most of it, because, like, in the end of the day, we've got so many, well, I say, we've got nine albums out, you know? Yeah. So it's, so it's like, we, we need to try and pick 
sort of like pretty much the best ones off each one. Well, I mean, we're still leaving out a couple because at the end of the day, we've got the classics and unfortunately there's curfews and venues and we're only allowed to play maximum of sort of like hour 30 minutes, you know, 90 yeah. minutes long. So it's, we can't really play all of it. I mean, saying that though, because but when we was in South America, one time, there was like, a, there was no curfew on a couple of gigs. And so we managed to play a lot of stuff and we ended up playing for, we still didn't cover everything, but we were still playing for like two hours. Yeah. You know, so so we have to make, so we have to try and, we're trying not to play the same stuff over and over again, but yeah. things have been around, been in the band for the gun for this long, we can't really sort of like get away from that. Yeah, yeah, you've got to kind of give people what they, it would agree what they expect when they come in. in no, exactly, exactly. Um, one other question I have for you. You've got a signature series guitar with Paul Reed Smith. Um, you want to talk yeah. a little bit about how that guitar came to be and your involvement in that process? Yeah. Um, I was basically, I've been with uh, PRS now since, when was it, 2004 or 2000, 2004, I think it is. And, uh, yeah, so basically, was, I, <laughs> I just remember when I first, like, went over to them, and I was buying just like the usual, just, just buying guitars off of them, you know, getting them at traders, the usual type of deal. Um, then I decided to um, basically like put one of their guitars in Photoshop and completely mess around with it. And so uh-huh. I completely redesigned it, put back to the neck, changed the colouring, the positions of the, the toggle switches, the, everything. I completely redesigned the whole thing. Same body shape, same headstock shape, neck and everything else, but I completely, the aesthetics of it are completely redesigned. And I sent that off to them just for, just to be honest, I wasn't even expecting them to say anything, you know. So I just sent it off to them and say, oh, look at this, what I've done, and then, uh, do you like it? And I just wanted something back saying, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> but they wrote back and said, oh, we're actually going to make this. It's amazing. Went, really? That's uh, pretty cool, actually. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, I just went on from there. And first of all, it was the, they made the private stocks for me. And um, then the SEs started to come out. And they said, oh, we want to make your guitars an SE. You know, so I, w- I went and redesigned the whole thing. Um, not as complicated, but then they said, no, 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 we wanted to make it exactly the same as you've done it. And they did. And so, yeah, so like now it's, it's out. There's a, the purple, the purple one, emerald green, and a blood red one out at the moment. Um, I think they're re- releasing the purple one again this year. But I've been talking to them, and... Um, there's a possibility they're making a uh, seven-string baritone for me. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I, I know we're talking to, to several other of their artists, and, and even ones who have the SE line that are just amazed at the quality of the SE guitar. You know, you're making it affordable, so you know your fans can you know, don't have to hawk things to buy one, and they're yeah. still getting a quality instrument. So, yeah, my hats. Yeah, no, exactly. No, it's that. brilliant. I think. I mean, I, I practice on one all the time. You know, and they're great. They're really, really good. Hey, well, Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day there, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys when you get over on the stateside. Yeah, sure, man. Pleasure.
All right, from the Darkly Darkly Venus Aversa album from Cradle of Filth, that was Lilith Immaculate. Next, we're going to switch gears ever so slightly and talk to the bass player of Lizzie Borden, Martin Anderson. Martin uh, has also been in some other uh, notable outfits, including George Lynch's band, so uh, no stranger to the L.A. music scene. So uh, to get you in the mood for some Lizzie Borden talk, we're going to be playing from Lizzie's latest album, Appointment with Death. This is called Under Your Skin.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show from Lizzie Borden's band and George Lynch's band, Martin Anderson. How are you doing today, Martin? Good, 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 good. Good to be here, man. Yeah, hey, um, you. I wanted to get in touch, you know, and kind of follow up. Um, we had talked to Lizzie a few months ago, and uh, people really dug the interview, and I think he's a lot, you know, pretty quite popular in our area in, in the genre of music that we tend to focus on, and I had the opportunity to speak to you, so I kind of wanted to talk about kind of your career, because you're in two of our favorite bands. You know, you, you play with George Lynch, you play with Lizzie uh, for quite a while, so I wanted to learn more about you as a musician and kind of where you came from, because you're not, uh, you know, the kid who, you know, moved from Idaho to L.A. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you You grew up, uh, was it Sweden? Yeah, I grew up in Sweden, man. I um, got you into playing in music? Well, I, I kind of grew up with listening to Kiss, and um, and then, you know, I saw a guy like Ingve Malmsteen and grew up in Sweden, and he became this shredder kind of guy, so I was very intrigued by the fact of sort of the entertainment factor of a, a band like Kiss, where it's just you're putting on this amazing show, and, you know, musicianship, they had great songs and so forth, but, you know, it wasn't like a lot of shredding and stuff, and then you sort of look at this new guy, Ingve Malmsteen, he came out, I was just a kid when I saw him the first time, and I go, wow, this is amazing, and and uh, I, I knew I kind of wanted to do both a little bit. And uh, obviously I've been with Lizzie Borden for a long time. But, uh, you know, the show at some areas are some, sometimes even more important than the music because the promoters buy the show, and it's just like an Alice Cooper, a Kiss show, whatever. But when I got the opportunity to play with George, I did, uh, I've done five tours with George now. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And, no. um, you know, it was kind of cool going going from doing the entertainment factor to just, you know, playing ripping instrumental songs and doing Mr. Scary with George and so forth. So, you know, just the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be happier. Now, when when you took up, did you start with the bass guitar initially? Uh, I started playing guitar, actually. And uh, okay. about a year or so later, I, 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 I saw Gene Simmons and Kiss, and I go, oh, i got to play the bass. There's no no other thing about it. Yeah, so was he was he kind of musically who you emulated, or was it more the theatrics that kind of got you? Well, maybe a little bit of both initially, but and then I started discovering other type of artists and uh, you know Deep Purple and bands like that, and Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. Judas Priest, and and um, so there's so many different at different times in my life. I listened to different people. I mean, I went through a little phase there. I listened to a lot of classical music and a lot of jazz and all kinds of fusion and weird stuff, and then but. Uh, you know, bands like Kiss and so forth has always been, you know, with me the whole time through the journey, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Now, what um, what got you over to the U.S.? Did you um, did did someone just kind of discover your ability while you were still in Sweden, or did you come to the U.S. and kind of, you know, get off the bus with a dollar in your pocket and try to make? Well, it yeah, there there's some truth to both of that actually. I actually I I had sent a a tape to uh, my playing to Mike Varney. Over a Shrapnel Records, okay. I don't know if you know who that is, but mm-hmm. he's the guy that discovered a lot yeah. of those guys, you know, Paul Gelbert and Ingve and all. And um, and I had a little bit of a carrot because I know you know Ingve went over there when he's 16, and and I I kind of was like, oh, this, I got to follow this guy's path. And you know, I got there a couple of years later. I was about 18 when I when I got to LA, but mm-hmm. but. Um, so there was a little bit of a path to it. I, I went to music school um, in Los Angeles, and it was just sort of, you know, they took care of all the paperwork for you, all the visas and all that stuff. And um, 
that's sort of how I got started. Um, and a, about a year later, I, I got the job playing with Lizzie, so I never left after that. Yeah, so you've been you've been at this kind of professionally since you since you got here. Now, how did you yeah. um, how did you did you end up teaming up with George? I mean, that. Well, we sort of met over the years. We met we met over the years, and you know, little you know, occasions here and there, or shows backstage, and you just say hi to the guy, and uh, and um, I actually got the call from uh, it was a singer that I had worked with previously that worked with George, and they said, well, we need to be a bass player for a tour, and uh, I said, with George, I'll do it. Of course, I'll do it. You know, I remember being fourteen in Sweden. Playing Mr. Scary, you know, so yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. You know, you walk in and here, here's George. You know, and you go, hey man, what's going on? And and uh, two seconds later, we get all jamming Mr. Scary. You know, it was just, just for a split second, I was that little fourteen year old guy in Sweden again, working on trying to figure the song out. You know? But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, but it didn't work out with that singer. Uh, but I was still in the band. <laughs> So we did a couple of rehearsals with that guy, and he sort of brought me in. And if anything, that really taught me how to the fact that you know it's who you meet and who you know. And like I said, I had jammed with this guy one time, this singer, one time only. And um, he remembered me, brought me in, or you know, I got me in initially, and then uh, you know he's gone, and here I am still. So. Always never estimate who yeah. you meet and what they can do for you. So it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But but and I ended up doing uh, five tours with George, and uh, I was the only guy that was the consistent guy through all those five tours. So I know I did yeah, something right. Good. You know, yeah, new singers and uh, his lineup. His lineup seems to be kind of a revolving door of people. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you know, it's it, it's a hard business to be in on many levels because there's a lot of "Quote unquote downtime," where you know they're working on records, and I mean, one of my best friend Bjorn, he plays bass with the uh, Swedish guy too. He plays bass with Ingve, and and it's one of those things, you know. They it would be eight months where they're not doing anything, and Ingve plays all the bass on the records and works with various different people, and then you know he's without a job for eight months. <laughs> so and that's, yeah, and that's, then you get and you gotta you gotta be able to go right when they want you to go. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, then that's exactly what happened to me. I got a call from George, um, I don't know, about six months ago or something like that, and and I was on, I was, I was just about to go on stage at a big festival in Spain with Lizzie, <laughs> and he goes, oh, "I'm doing some show dates, you know, can you do it?" And I was like, "Sorry, bro, I can't do it," you know, and you feel horrible for it. You 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 you've worked yeah. your whole life to get phone calls like that, and then you can't do it for various reasons, but. Uh, but you know, especially this year with Lizzie Borden, we had the best year I think in our career. I know for a fact in our career. I think we did 15 countries this last year. So yeah, you guys kept it busy. You know, almost the entire year 2010. It seemed like you guys, you know, kind of came and destroyed the U.S. and then we're doing the big festivals and things like that. Oh yeah, so, I um, mean, you had mentioned. Go you ahead. You had mentioned before we came on the air that you um, just got back from the Nam show. I was curious. I'd seen you've got an eight-string bass. Yes, I um, I sort of got the idea. A about, go ahead. How how that came about and what you do with that in many strings on a bass. <laughs> well, 
it came about because I, I listened to guys like Tom Peterson and Doug Pennick from King Sax, and they used a lot of the 12 strings. So I, what I did is like, oh, I like the sound of that. I was, you know, because this sounds totally different. You know, it's a different, totally different feel to it. You play differently. So I, I you know, I bought a 12 string, and I was like, you know, it sounds great and everything. And then the first time I had to change the strings, I go, oh no, hell no, this is not happening. It took like two hours to change all those 12 strings and the painstaking. So I'm like, you know, maybe I'll just cut it in half a little bit. So I'll do an eight string. And um, basically, it's a thin string on each thick string, and it's an octave. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not as hard as you think it is. People go, eight string, what the hell do you do with that? But basically, the reason I use it is it's a totally different sound. And what I do, and not to give away totally my secret here, but is um, I add some distortion to it, and it almost sounds like you almost got a little bit of a rhythm guitar going on in the background with the bottom end. So, yeah. but you know, it takes some tweaking to get that kind of get the sound because you don't want to lose the bottom end because you add distortion, and that's you know, in bass technical terms, that sometimes what happens is as soon as you crank up the distortion, you lose some of the bottom end. But um, mm-hmm. but the fact that you can you can do that. I mean, George at first I came in with eight strings, and he was like, "The hell is that thing?" You know, and I was like, oh, "I don't know, man." Uh, you know, and I start playing, and as soon as he went to doing a solo or something, you still got that really full, heavy, almost like a rhythm guitar going on in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. he's like, "Oh man, that's awesome!" You know, so he really liked it initially too. And um, I've been with ESP for a long time, and uh, I feel like they're an amazing company, a great family to be with. I, I'm so proud and happy to be to be with them. It's the first endorsement company I ever got through a base when I first got started. You know, at 18, and I'm 36 now. Yeah, so yeah, you figure out the math, and I'm still with them to this day. And uh, I would never been with, be with someone. To, so they're loyal to me. I'm loyal to them. And I just came with an idea. And I said, you know, I got some ideas on the on a, on, a, on the eight string bass. And um, we sort of went with it and created a prototype of it. So hopefully, as we go along, it will be the Martin Anderson um, bass. You can actually order it now, but uh, it's all built to order only. But it's pretty cool stuff. You can go to all my sites and stuff and check it out. And Hopefully it will be in every yeah, store all over the world at some point. But um, yeah, that, I have to admit that quickly caught my eye when I was I was uh, going through your site. I'm like, whoa, eight strings here. You know, I'm thinking, has he got like, you know, octaves or you know, has he got like really high strings? But no, that's an excellent explanation for the folks out there. And you um, use Carbon for your amplification? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I was been with another company for for all these years too, and then. Uh, Carbon just came out with a brand new line of base products, and and they approached me and they said, you want to you want to be part of this? And I said, well, let me send me some stuff, let me check it out, and uh, and uh, they did, and I really really liked it. And then it's a little weird, you know, it's like any kind of relationship, you know, being with a girlfriend or something for a long time, and you you used to just picking up the phone, and all of a sudden you start dealing with a new new company and new ways and new person and you know you start dating again almost and and um it was good but so far so good i'm very very happy we had a very good signing session this 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 week at nam and uh the response just been great so now what um what does 2011 hold for for you i mean or is it is it more with lizzie you guys going to work on a new record or yeah we, we uh well 
we start working on songs. That's as far as I want to go at this point. That's we, we, you know, we, we just want to make get ten amazing songs together, and however long that takes is sort of the mind frame on it. But um, we just want to continue a little bit of, like I said, we did fifteen countries. We were in fifteen countries this year, and that's more than I ever been. And gone back to J- Japan again and doing all this. So it's um, we we actually got an offer to play India here. And uh, and I, I was uh, at the ESP dinner. I, I had a long conversation with George about it because he was just there doing clinics a while back, and he's giving me the whole lowdown on, you know, don't eat the food on the street, even though it looks great, and you know, bring your own water when you brush your teeth. Even I'm like, whoa, hello, you know. So and um, you know, he said he did some kind of convention uh, show or whatever, and he said the air conditioner would go off for half an hour and the power would go down for half an hour at the convention center, <laughs> little stuff like that. So I'm like, I want to go to this place. But so if that happens, that, that'd be kind of interesting, too. It's one yeah, of those I mean, places that you, 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 you never go to India normally, most likely. <laughs> so yeah. I said, you know, if I get an opportunity to do it and make make a couple bucks, and you know, and so uh, that'd, that'd be cool, you know. From what I'm, I'm hearing, you know, just from you know the internet, it seems like the Indian heavy metal scene has really taken off over there in the last five or six years. So that's I what I heard. Made, yeah, kind of coming over there, and uh, you know, I think they documented that in the Flight Six 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 movie that uh, kind of opened the door to, to metal in India. And you know, there's you know certainly a huge population, and there's some very modern cities with Chennai and things like that. So yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, a very ripe market. I, I love to go, and uh, I think the next market that uh, Lizzie Borden has never been to is uh, South America, and we just got some offers to do South America too. So I think we're going to hit some of those markets that we that we haven't uh, hit before, never been to, and uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll we're going to be doing some of the festivals too in in uh, Europe this summer, and uh, sure. We had we had some really good shows there, you know, over the last couple of years. Sweden Rock and Bakken and all those good festivals, and they're so much fun, you know. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine being on stage with Bakken and looking out at that. Uh, you know, it's become so legendary. Yeah. And, you know, in the hard rock and metal metal world, you know, all this uh, folks over here in North America are so jealous, you know, that we don't have something like that. You know, yeah. Even even what used to be in Oklahoma kind of got, you know, distorted. To a degree, so it, it sure is, and it, I don't know. Maybe it's just the mentality that's a little bit different, you know. That it's all right to listen to Britney Spears, but you can put on Iron Maiden next, you know. Even the the, the younger mm-hmm. kids do that, you know. And here, you you, you kind of brainwashed to to listen to what isn't hip at the moment, so to speak, on TV. So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. can't believe I said hip, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Um, so I mean it's, it's it's a lot of young kids coming out to Europe and stuff, which is amazing. That's uh, yeah, that's what you want to see. Exactly. So, Martin, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you you're kind of got some stuff to do, and I want to let you go. And uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us, man. Of course, of course. We'll uh, we'll talk again when I come to uh, Pittsburgh and do the clinics and stuff. So. Excellent. Okay, man. I want to thank Martin Anderson and also Paul Allender for coming on the show. Again, Cradle of Filth will be coming February 23rd, Club Zoo down in the Strip District in Pittsburgh. So you can get your tickets at DreskyEntertainment.com. 
and I believe Ticketmaster.com. So you want to find more information about us or any show in Pittsburgh, come to www.ironcityrocks.com. Go to the concert calendar, and you'll find uh, the whole region pretty well blanketed there, all the major promoters and uh, ticketing agencies all in one place, so no uh, poking around at different websites. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, YouTube, and uh, anywhere else on the web you can think of. So check us out, ironcityrocks.com. We'll get you to all of those great places, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Also, want to announce right now, we will be giving away a pair of tickets to see Cradle of Filth at Club Zoo. You, what you need to do is go to ironcityrocks.com, click on Contests. There will be an entry form. The password is Lilith. You'll need that when you enter to uh, get yourself a pair of tickets. So ironcityrocks.com, click on Contests, click the Cradle of Filth Contest, enter the password Lilith. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> ¶¶